It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. And there they are. Basil the dog. I know and, those people. Yeah. Are you talking about us or are you talking about Basil the dog and Legata the cat? Oh, I'm still watching. I'm on the Facebook feed, so it's on that lag. It was the picture of us from the Flower and Garden Show a few years ah, ago. Ah, I see. Well, I was looking at uh, our animals, and they're especially appropriate today. Uh, yes, please move the plant. Can you get we got to frame the plant. By the way, we... we no, no, ad- it's covering up the stuff behind it. Oh, is that what it's doing? Okay, great. <laughs> we, we need to have that as well. Um, and uh, I was going to say that uh, that plant, by the way, got misidentified on this very show uh, a couple of weeks ago, didn't it? Oh. Um, hmm? Yes. Did it? Yeah, okay. All right. Yes. Uh, no, it, I'm just it, saying. It is, it is a peace lily of some sort, kind of a ruffled edge, ruffled leaf one. Yeah, uh, I just have a, a, a plain one, but it does very well. Welcome to the program, everybody. As I was saying, uh, as you see those photos of uh, of uh, Basil the dog and Legata the cat, they're very appropriate today because the first hour of the show is dedicated to your pets. And uh, we don't do that a lot. We, you know, we talk about... Oh our pets on the show, uh, uh, Peggy and I, but we don't, we haven't done whole segments about this. And then, um, I, well, uh, last year I ran into, uh, a guy I had worked with many, 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 like a gazillion years ago. In fact, let's, let's, <laughs> let's pop him into the lower left corner. His name is Steve Dale. <laughs> And um, he's a gazillion. Uh, I'm not even that old. What do you mean by a gazillion? Yeah, you are. You're you're older than you think, dude. Um, no, no, I'm not. Uh, okay, no. maybe I am. Maybe it's just me. I, I live. I live. Well, in there's plant there's years. pet years and people years. That's right. And maybe plant years and plant years exactly. Plant, well, plant years. Um, they're much longer. Uh, but Steve and I worked together at a place called Gargantua Radio down the dial. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my term for it now, Steve. Uh, some of you might know it as uh, WGN, and he still uh, uh, pops up on WGN. And he's a uh, he's a you know I didn't even know what this was. I saw your website and I saw CABC, and I went, oh, he's working for ABC now. Nope, it's <laughs> <laughs> Canadian ABC. Canadian ABC. There we go. <laughs> Give him a ding. Um, he's a certified animal behavior consultant. 
and uh, and of course, pet journalist. Um, he has written books. He has uh, contributed to books. Um, he does he does radio and audio. Uh, he's won a boatload of awards for the work he's done. He's an activist um, for uh, pets and for animals in general. Uh, on this show, Steve, we have we've talked a lot about animal wel- welfare. Generally, it's in terms of farm animals um, and, and how they're treated and, uh, how, how that can happen humanely. But, uh, you, you cover the wide swath of things. So, um, Steve and I worked back to back. We had back to back shows at WGN. We were the only hour and a half shows. Everybody was either an hour or two hours. And for some reason they decided we would each have an hour and a half. So we were, we were uh, dividing the show, and, and we it would mine would go from six to seven thirty p.m. on Saturdays, and then Steve mm-hmm. would come on at seven thirty to nine, and um, it was up to me to get off on time, and I almost never did. So uh, really, yeah, I owe Steve a lot of minutes, and guess what, Steve, you're getting them all back this morning. All those minutes that uh, you know, I'd get to him a couple minutes late, and and he'd be like, I've I've, I've got a really booked show it's really solidly booked i'm like okay yeah well i'll I'll get to you as quick as i can so uh my apologies for that all low these gazillion years ago uh and welcome to the show steve it's great to see you thank you i love that introduction i think uh and uh it's good to see you again mike that's for sure and uh you contributed to my knowledge of of plants even I remember uh, week after week after week, I came in with questions for you, and usually it was about a hibiscus that wasn't living indoors very well. Uh, after I tried to take it in, remember that's yeah. that's what I kept asking you about, and uh, I, I appreciate what I've learned from from you uh, on the radio, uh, and it's great to be here. Well, and I will say one thing: um, I've had a, a sea change in attitude. Uh, about pets since uh, I worked next to you at uh, at GN uh, because uh, Lagata the cat came into our lives here. Um, she found us. We didn't find her. She there. She was one night in the backyard, and um, obviously astray, uh, the sweetest thing, and and uh, came wandering up on the porch, uh, looking for food, obviously. And purring to beat the band, just that's the thing she does best. She just purrs and purrs and purrs. And uh, I was the one who said to Kathleen, do not bond with that cat. Do not bond with that cat. And <laughs> no, of co- no, no. And of course it was me. I was like total sucker. <laughs> and, and now uh, Legata rules my life and, and actually rules the house here. Um, and so, and we're so grateful that she's here. She's just the... Like a, she's just a little bit of grace in in our lives, and especially, boy, is she happy! Now, this is something you can address. This is might be a place we start. She is so happy during the pandemic because we're home all the time. We don't go anywhere, mm-hmm. so it's got to make dogs and cats really happy. Have you heard stories about that, Steve? Oh, that's absolutely true. First of all. You know, cats, I, I used to call them the Rodney Dangerfield of pets because they just don't get enough respect. Uh, and, and in fact, there are more cats than dogs in America. They are man's really? best friend. Yeah, if you just go by the numbers alone. But dogs, even if you don't have a dog, uh, there are a lot of reasons for this, which I could talk about. But I believe we're actually hardwired to, if not 
like dogs, which most people do, unless they've had a bad experience. Yeah. Or unless they're mm-hmm. really allergic. Even then. So a study was done uh, in a, a Middle Eastern country uh, and uh, culturally they believe, and it's not religion, that's a mistake, it's, it's cultural, uh, that they believe, or some believe the dogs are dirty. Even mm. among those people, show them just a picture of a dog and they smile. And, <laughs> and when you smile, and, endorphins in your head do a happy dance. And if you walk down the street with a dog, <laughs> Most people smile, unless it's a dog they happen to be afraid of, or as I said, have had a bad experience with dogs. Cats, either love or you don't. And Mm. I've always thought that uh, the best uh, publicists, the best ambassadors for cats are cats. And for people that have never had a cat before, when they do get a cat, all those myths are busted, 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 right there, right there, right there. (laughs) Because so much of what people think about cats is Mm -hmm. simply untrue. And there's a book about that, by the way, that I uh, will take this opportunity to plug. (laughs) And because we're not doing radio and we're doing video, aha, aha. Aha, there you go. Decoding Your Cat. Decoding Your Cat. And and actually, I I don't have a ton to do with this book. I just wrote the introduction. It's authored by members of the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists. And they are the absolute behavior experts when it comes to companion animals it's available anywhere books are sold it's called decoding there i get it in frame a bit better decoding you your cat uh and again the ultimate experts the wait the, the, com- the complete name steve decoding your cat the ultimate experts explain common cat behaviors and reveal how to prevent or change unwanted ones there, I've got yeah. I've, I got you up on the big screen now, Steve, so that you can. Wow! Ju- there, and there's and there's the book. <laughs> That's why I do so much radio. You don't want to see me on the big screen. Actually, uh, I do a fair amount of TV. Yeah, but um, you're right about uh, the cat experience, um, and and they also get a bad rap as being aloof. And I have heard more stories from cat owners who say, "My cat follows me all around the house." Uh, my cat does. I can, I can attest to that. Uh, Gata, and we have rituals where I come in the door and uh, she meets me at the back door and then runs to her favorite scratching post, which is, <laughs> which is a beat up suitcase in the living room. And she lies on her side, which is weird and scratches it. And so I have to scratch her while she's lying sideways uh, on the ground. It's a very weird ritual. And she, and actually, she does the same thing when I come out of the bathroom because it's uh, near the the back door. Uh, I'll come out of the bathroom, and then she runs around to the scratching post. Uh, as I guess, uh, I don't know why coming out of the bathroom precipitates that, but it does. So I think in that regard, a lot of cats do get a bad rap, don't they? Uh, they do. And and you point out something really interesting here, Mike. So we also don't completely understand as well as we could or should perhaps cats. Uh, we have a good understanding of dogs. One of the reasons is we literally evolved with dogs. They're also more like us than cats are. So here's one of the misunderstandings. You come home. You're at work when we actually went to work after a long day. Yeah and your cat is excited to see you, runs the other way and goes like this on the sofa. So we get really mad 
because the cat, first of all, we don't understand. If the cat's happy to see me, why is the cat running the other way? And why is the cat <laughs> scratching my sofa? It's because actually your cat is happy to see you. And one of the ways cats express pleasure is by scratching. Sounds like you've given them uh, or your cat an appropriate or oddly appropriate place to scratch, <laughs> which, which, is, which is good. Uh, at least you're not upset about the cat scratching them. Oh, no, Having no. That's... a scratching post. So what I tell yeah. people is to have a scratching post. And this book uh, does the same thing, by the way. Tells people to have a scratching post near the door you come in a lot. The front door, the back door, whichever ah. door you use most often. Mm. Have a scratching post near there so the cat has somewhere to run. And if the cat so desires, and, and many do, to scratch away because that cat is indeed expressing pleasure to see you, but in a very different way that our dogs do it. Uh, we can be annoyed, though, by our dogs at times, too. So to say cats are aloof or have behaviors we don't like. So what if you come home and the dog does nothing but bark? There are dogs that do that, and for some of us, that can be annoying. Or there are individual dogs that are aloof. There really are. Uh, there are individual cats that are aloof, but there are cats that are just like your cat, that wants to not only be with you all the time, but be with anyone who comes over to the house. <laughs> yeah. There are other cats who want nothing to do with people coming over, but there are dogs that want nothing to do with people coming over too. So I can make some generalizations and say a lot of cats are this way, or a lot of dogs are this way, or a lot of dogs of a certain breed, in fact, are this way, or a lot of cats of a certain breed are this way. But at the end of the day, there's still generalizations. Yeah, and and you don't know that they're generalizations until you have your own animal and uh, and you get to experience it firsthand. Uh, by the way, we're talking to those of you who are just listening, and I, if you're just listening to the podcast, I invite you to join us on Sunday mornings live when we stream on Facebook and YouTube and on my website, MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. We're talking to Steve Dale, who's a, a world-renowned uh, pet expert um, and a certified animal behavior consultant, and uh, you can catch him uh, uh, on Steve Dale's Pet World and the Pet Minute. That's another thing. You've got the Pet Minute that goes out uh, all, all over the the country as well. That's that. You know, that's I keep thinking that's something I got to do. I got to do one of those minute shows and doing the environmental minute, um, and because um, mm -hmm. uh, you reach you can reach a lot of people that way, can't you? I, I hope so. That's what I'm all about. I'm, I'm simply about reaching people. You mentioned awards. I'll tell you something that happened to me uh, this week, Mike. Uh, I've, I've been very blessed. I've gotten all sorts of awards for this or for that. But this week, the greatest honor of my career. I get, I get a Facebook image of a picture of me and someone else. And I'll tell you who that someone else is in a minute. Okay. And I had... You, you ready for this? I'm ready. I had an ice cream named for me. Isn't that amazing? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Chicago wow. Suites on Broadway uh, on the north side. It's just a couple blocks north of Belmont Avenue. They named Banana Pudding Marshmallow. I love that ice cream. I love it. And I told <laughs> them that 4,812 times. And, and, and uh, my problem is someone else told them that. 4,803 times. Notice my number is higher than this other guy. <laughs> and that's that's a guy I grew up with. 
sort of. He's much older than I am. Paul Lisnick of uh, WGN TV is on right now, probably talking about our new president or something boring yeah. like that. And and he also has that same ice cream at the same time name for him. So it's the Steve Dale Paul Lisnick ice cream, and it's hmm. banana pudding ice cream. What a better a TV guy cross, crossword puzzle. I was in TV guy. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Winning this award or that award or that award doesn't mean anything. Ice cream named for me, my life can end right now. There and you it, go. And it's the longest <laughs> name for uh, an ice cream ever. So uh, that's it's it's going to be hard to put it on those little cards that they have there. Uh, at the they ice. didn't. They, they, I, I they think we need to get samples, though. We need yeah. samples of that How do we get samples of that? I agree. So John, who owns the place, ought to be sending you guys samples. Oh, by the way, notice in back of me, over my left shoulder, yeah, uh, is a uh, no. It's actually my right shoulder. Is a uh, you'll be you'll be very impressed with this. A philodendron. Ooh. You see it? Oh uh, yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. How many yeah. plants do you have in your house? A lot, actually. Really? Uh, okay. It's like a little jungle. Yeah. Yeah. So the next time, if I do one of these with you again, I'll do it from the living room where I've got, and you can help identify plants. I don't even know what they are, maybe. But uh, I've, I've got a lot of them because uh, I believe it's good for us. And I love, I love being, I love having plants. I mean, every time we, I have yeah. no room for them anymore. I've run out of window, window ledge space. I've run out, run out of floor space. My wife is always yelling at me if I buy another plant. And I don't buy that many anymore. What I do is I clip and then I make babies. I I do the same thing. I have to tell mm-hmm. you, I probably have 40 plants in the house in one place or another. And there's very few places. We've got upstairs. We've got a southern exposure upstairs and downstairs here uh, where we can put some plants. Um, and I had to bring them all in. I do this every year. I take them outside for the summer and then bring them in for the winter um and bringing them in i have a uh we talked about this on the show the other day a like an 80 uh pound chiffleur that's eight feet tall and uh wow. Ka- that Kathleen, was your, your tree last christmas too which is going to be my christmas tree this year too that's i just throw the the lights on it but uh, getting back to, <laughs> to to pets though i am very fortunate because lagata is not interested in my plants at all. And I know that there are cats that like to dig. Are there dogs that dig into plants as well? Absolutely. You know, so there's some tricks about that. You know, you can put uh, little rocks, the little decorative rocks uh, you can buy at plant stores, hardware stores, uh, and put them around the pot. And the cat won't go in, if we're talking cats or very small dogs, into the large pot to dig because it's just uncomfortable to do it. And I'm told you're the expert here, but (laughs) I'm told that's not going to harm the plant in any way. No, in fact, it could make, yeah, it could make it more decorative. I suppose Uh, marbles can serve the same function. Uh, I've got plenty in my head. Uh, I don't know where you buy marbles anymore, but <laughs> I, I was, lost all of mine. Places. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there, there are places. There are places that sell marbles still. Uh, so that would be a, another idea. Another thing you could do is spray all sorts of scents in there, and you could buy these products that deter cats from getting into the plant mm-hmm. or digging at the plant. The problem is that every time you water the plant. The product goes away, you know, so I'm not sure how efficient that is for cats that are chewing on leaves or dogs. 
that is more of a concern for me because it can make the pet very, very sick. Uh, so yeah. there are things that you can spray similarly that I'm told are not harmful to the plants that the dogs and cats simply don't like the scent. If you want to save money, um, and I'm all for that always, uh, real lemon juice can serve the purpose. So you can go to the grocery store, buy real lemon juice. It is so pungent that most pets don't like that. Uh, and it won't, I'm told, hurt the plant at all. Uh, and it'll dissuade them from chewing on it. But I'm all for giving then, if we're talking cats, them an alternative, a place where they can chew. And you can get cat grasses, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, where you can purchase and grow your own, or you can purchase at many uh, pet stores, I believe Whole Foods has as well. Uh, it's called cat grass, and there's different mm -hmm. cat grasses right. that are perfectly yeah. fine for cats to chew on and to ingest. Uh, and I've tried that. Uh, Legata doesn't seem that interested. She loves catnip, um, but um, the cat grasses have not have not been as successful. I I should probably try again as uh, uh, I I did once and, and it didn't work out very well. But she's uh, uh, you talk about plants that um, are are bad for animals. It's you know if you if if you spent your time looking at lists of plants that are poisonous or that can cause some harm to plants, uh, to animals and human beings, uh, you would never own a plant because there, there are so many. I mean, you talk about Diffenbachia or dumb cane, which, you know, if you happen to ingest it, it could, your, your throat can swell up. It can be a very, very serious problem. And the same thing can happen to your, your pets. Um, there are so many plants that, um, are toxic in one way, shape, or form that uh, you would just lie awake nights uh, if if uh, if you if you knew all those lists. So my feeling is, be careful, monitor your 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 pets, and monitor your plants, and monitor your children. Um, and if you're not having problems, you're probably okay. Uh, I I don't think your life can be ruled by which plants uh, are are toxic because. The, the list is, is endless. Yeah. And, and be smart about where you're putting them, obviously. You know? Well, that's, I think that's a very toxic good point. Toxic plant, have it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. And that's sometimes easy enough to do for pets. Cats, it's a little more challenging because you put a cat, you know, a plant up on something. And sure enough, mm -hmm. then the cat goes up on something. <laughs> but if you see that the cat is interested <laughs> in it or, or the dog, then that's when to put it behind a closed door or hide it at least for a little while. Then you could take it out again and see if the pet is still interested in it. Um, uh, but I'm concerned, so I come from the same place but yet a different place because I don't want to see those pets land in the emergency clinic. Yeah. And I know, for example, how impactful uh, lilies can be to cats. I mean, it can kill a cat. But most cats have no interest whatsoever. But for those cats that do, it can be a death sentence. Now, if you've had a cat for eight years, Year after year after year, you bring in the lilies to the house or you get them when people come over or at Easter time or whatever. It's never been a problem. Cat is not even interested, then less of a concern than a little kitten who's never been exposed before and might be allured by the smell of the sweet smell of the lily mm -hmm. plant. So it, it depends on the plant and it depends on the pet. Um, I see uh, or I hear Basil is saying hi to Steve Dale. Is that right, uh, Peggy? Yes, he is. <laughs> He's in the background oh, saying hi to somebody. <laughs> I appreciate that. So uh, you mentioned WGN Radio, and WGN Radio 
uh, is responsible. So I don't know that you're familiar with what reed bands are. It's when communities, uh, especially in the 1980s, they did this big time, there would be an attack by a dog on a child, statistically, usually, but on anyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, public officials thought, okay, let's make our community safer by banning the breed. Mm. Uh, which they didn't even all always get right, but whatever the presumed breed was. And I, imagine, that pit, pit, and I imagine pit bulls are at the top of that list. Exactly. Right. So whether and, pit bulls were really involved in anything or not, they, to your point, Mike, appeared on that list. And Denver and Chicago, at about the same time, there there were several attacks in Denver that led up to the public officials in Denver considering a breed ban. There was one big attack and only one uh, that I recall in Chicago with a Rottweiler uh, mm -hmm. that led to Alderman Shirley Coleman at that time saying, uh, I want to ban, if I could ban all dogs, I remember she went on TV and said this, if I could ban all dogs, I would, but Yikes. let's take care of Rottweilers and while we're at it, pit bulls. Uh, and I invited her on the radio with me and she was on WGN radio at that time. I had a two hour show and she was on WGN for two hours, two hours, phone call after phone call after phone call. I asked some questions, but my listeners who I love uh, took care of everything and uh, asked the right questions and made the right comments, knew the data. And mm -hmm. at the end of the show, last commercial break, we come back from and you know how that is, Mike. You have about two minutes before you go to news. Right. If you hit the news on time, which I do. So, so <laughs> I had about two minutes. And she, and she says, Steve, you got it. I'm convinced. You are now in charge of a blue ribbon committee to rewrite our Animal Care and Control Act. So any dog of any breed or any mix uh, then can be held responsible for an attack regardless of what that breed presumably or mix presumably is, which is what I wanted. Uh, and I put together this task force, never got the blue ribbon, and we rewrote the Chicago Animal Care and Control Act back then, and the vote was 50 to nothing. All the aldermen said, okay, you're right. Experts here mm -hmm. are right. That's the way Chicago went. And I am proud if it wasn't for my WGN radio show, might have gone a different way for sure. Probably would have. Denver, though, they went a different way. They had a breed ban enacted since I think it was 1988 or 89. It's on my blog, stevedale.tv, if you want to read about it. Uh, but finally, now, in this last election, no recount needed. Uh, it was about 66% of those who then voted said yes this ban needs to go away. And finally now, finally in Denver, uh, earlier in the year, uh, the legislators in Denver, or was it late last year, voted for it to go away. But then the mayor said, no, no, uh, we, we need it to stay. But the voters have said differently. Denver is among the last cities really to have a breed ban. Several smaller mid-sized communities do. The entire state of Ohio had one. And what they saw and what we know, and I wrote, I wrote the paper on this, so I know it, is that it doesn't do anything to enhance public safety in reality. I don't know why my printer is going on. 
So sorry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay. It can. It's hot off the presses. <laughs> uh, uh, well, yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, well, c- congratulations on that, and congratulations to the people of Denver. For you know, it's not the pet, it's not the breed, it's the it's the way the animal was raised. Uh, obviously, it, it and um, there are. It's it always it always comes back to human beings. Who's causing the problem? It's usually the human being that's causing the problem, not the pet. Uh, so uh, that's good to hear. All right, we need to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about something that uh, is an important issue, and that is making news has been making news in Chicago, and that's puppy mills um, and what they are and why they are a problem. It's the Mike Novak show with. Peggy Malecki. We're talking to Steve Dale, and in just a moment, we're going to bring in Jody Whitaker from the Chicago Alliance for Animals. So please stick around. Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Whether you have a garden, a farm, or grow houseplants, you need microbial buddies to reconnect you to nature. The folks at Blazing Star sell probiotics from industry leader Tinyo Biologicals, which means they sell good soil biology, which means they maximize soil biodiversity. That results in healthy soil and healthy plants. Tinyo beneficial microbial soil components will add a major boost to depleted soils. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. to save that one for the end of the year oh dear i know this i had to have something like that in honor of steve dale but i don't you see and you you don't even get the the benefit because i didn't do the uh video part you know i could have posted that as too i could have put the video up there as well oh well something tells me at the end of the year we will see the video i think we will uh uh, Peggy, why don't uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, McHenry County College before we yeah. get? And we're hoping to get Jody uh, Whitaker here. I'm going to 
bring that out for the moment and talk to us, Peg. Yeah, there's a couple of exciting things happening this week at McHenry County College. The second session of Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming is coming up next Sunday, November 15th at 1 p.m. It's brought to you by the Center for Agrarian Learning at McHenry County College, and it's a free online speaker series featuring innovative thinkers and doers. As we've said on the show, it will help you learn how to walk and think and act like an agrarian. Whole Grain Supply Chain, it's the workshop next Sunday, and it features a food system dietitian, a farmer, and a baker discussing the benefits and challenges they face using artisan grains in their businesses. But before that, this Thursday, November 12th at 6 p.m., you can take part in a screening and discussion about the wonderful film Seasons of Change on Henry's Farm. Filmmaker Anis Summer and producer author Tara Brockman, who were on our show this year, they're going to take your questions after the uh, movie screening. The Forefront sessions are free online via Zoom, but you do need to sign up. Go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and check out upcoming events in December, as well as January and February of 2021. That's mchenry.edu slash Forefront. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. As you can see in the lower left corner, we have Steve Dale. And you can go to stevedalepetworld.com. And we are talking the the entire first hour, we're talking pets and animal welfare. And let us bring in our next guest. And there she is, Jody Whitaker uh, from the Chicago Alliance for Animals. Jody, are you with us? I'm here. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Those of you who watch our show and listen to our show know that Jody has been on the program a number of times. Um, she has been a staunch advocate of proper treatment for horses in the city of Chicago. Uh, as you know, for years, the city has had horse-drawn carriages, um, and Jody is one of the people who uh, has documented how some of those businesses, perhaps all of them, were violating city ordinances um, and uh, subjecting the horses to unnecessary cruelty, and you won that battle this year, didn't you, Jody? Yes, we did. What? So exciting. Um, yeah, as of January 1st, uh, there will be no longer any horse carriages on the streets of Chicago and no horses being overworked and not provided water or work when it's too hot or too cold. It's it's an amazing victory, and you'd been fighting this for years, and you'd been on our program for several <laughs> years talking about this and just trying to get the city to even pay attention. What what helped you turn the corner on this? I think the uh, what happened is we just wouldn't give up, and they knew we wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we just continued to go out there every weekend and document violations and and every single weekend, we documented horses being over. And uh, the uh, trade refused to self-regulate. They refused to follow the laws that are on Chicago's books to pr protect the public and protect the horses. And I believe the aldermen simply had enough. And when we had our hearing in March, uh, right before the pandemic hit, uh, the uh, two aldermen who really uh, champed Bill, Alderman Riley and Alderman Hopkins, defended myself and the Chicago Alliance for Animals and our volunteers for simply wanting to protect the horses and, and ensure that the laws are, are uh, enforced and, and that they follow the law. And they basically said to these operators, uh, 
you're breaking the law and the city doesn't have time to babysit you. And it was interesting because I know I had talked to you couple years ago and at the time you were jumping up and down and trying to get people's attention and you <laughs> yeah. couldn't you couldn't get uh the city to respond to emails to phone calls they there was there was you were ghosted by the city of Chicago for a long time and and that's why it's kind of stunning and and Steve I I know that you've followed this as well, and it's amazing what some activists can do because it wasn't just Jody out there. It was the folks from Chicago Alliance for Animals documenting and being out there in the heat, being out there in the cold. And, of course, the horses were out there in the heat and the cold as well. Um, but it is interesting, isn't it, Steve, when activists get involved that you can actually change policy? I believe that is true. I've been a part of that many, many times. You know, uh, I would argue Jody didn't win, although it happened greatly because of Jody. It's the horses uh, really that won uh, here. Mm, yes. uh, and, and the hope is that what happens, and it often does legislatively, Chicago is a very big city. So what happens in Chicago will uh, oftentimes reverberate down or up to other cities as well. And, uh, and I'm sure Jody agrees that the hope is that that happens in this instance as well. Also, what's interesting to me is that the two aldermen that were most supportive are the aldermen that were most affected by this. The downtown aldermen, Alderman Brendan Riley and Alderman Brian Hopkins. We'll talk about Brian Hopkins in a moment as well. Yeah, well... Um, uh, the- just a touch... Oh, sorry, Mike. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, touching on what uh, Steve said, is uh, we are working with other cities around the world uh, who have campaigns to ban the horse carriages. I'm in touch with the New, uh, New York groups. I'm in touch with uh, groups around the world, um, uh, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, so w- we're hoping to take our, you know, our, the work we did here in Chicago and the, the strategies we used, uh, mainly documenting violations and uh, and then getting support from businesses such as, you know, how you signed our pledge and and so forth to to get these bans in other cities that abuse their horse. Uh, and, you know, Jody, uh, uh, Steve was talking about this earlier in a strange way. Uh, and, you know, COVID-19 has not been good for anybody, but in a strange way, it helped resolve this issue because with so few people downtown, the the carriage industry has virtually disappeared in 2020. So um, it you won the battle in city council, but also they could have gone to the end of the year, but there's no reason for them to do that because there's nobody down there, as Steve was saying earlier. Yeah, I mean, I've gone down there on Saturday afternoons uh, after kind of the pandemic was, uh, it it was, you know, the restaurants were opening and so forth, and I haven't seen them. I, I only know of one time them being down there over the summer. So I feel like they have, thrown in the towel in Chicago. So Hmm. congratulations. Uh, And as of the beginning of the year, it will not be legal that they did not renew the, the way they did it is they just stopped renewing the license for the industry. Right. 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 Uh, They won't uh, renew their licenses at the end of November. uh, So one battle resolved at least uh, for the moment, although there at least one company claims they're going to, continue to fight it right yes one one there was an article that came out in july 
the owner of Great Lakes uh, stating that they were going to challenge this ban. Um, but I, I reached out to Alderman Hopkins' office to ask him if we should be concerned about this, and he said that we shouldn't be. Uh, everything the city council did was on the up and up, and um, they had a right to ban the activity that uh, basically broke those laws daily. All right. So that takes us to the issue of puppy mills. And um, uh, Steve, I'm going to let you start this. Uh, explain what the problem is here. I know both of you have been working on this issue uh, in Chicago. What's a puppy mill and why is it not a good thing? A puppy mill is any facility, a uh, large scale facility that breeds dogs uh, illegally, technically, but that they're rarely they're rarely ever found uh but breeds dogs in an unethical way uh they are millers in that the the dogs are literally breeding after breeding after breeding after breeding they get no veterinary care i mean i mean it's a it's a question i can completely answer but you've all seen probably images uh on television or in print stories of these places and I've been, they're as bad as they seem. So mm. you have dogs that are kind of stacked on top of one another uh, and the urine drips down to the next one. These dogs get net, no veterinary care whatsoever. They get very little socialization with people. They're fed what they need to be fed, sometimes just to be kept alive. I mean, I can go on and on and on. And, and a lot the of puppies them, them, I was just gonna say, go a ahead. lot of them are, are, are breeders i mean they're are they're the 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 dogs that uh get pregnant and they get pregnant they put them in you know when they're in heat they just get them pregnant over and over and over again and that's their life is producing yes. puppies yeah. um, yes and and if you if boy it's it's just something that that breaks your heart um and there are, uh, if you go to my website, MikeNovak.net, I've got uh, information on this. I, you know, you don't necessarily want to, you know, if you want to know, you, you need to be educated about, about what's going on. But there are uh, organizations like the Puppy Mill Project uh, where you can go and they, they tell you uh, exactly what the issue is and, and list all of the things that are done to these poor animals. Or you can go to the Humane Society of the United States and they do the same thing. And I've got those links uh, on my blog post. Um, and so they're horrific. But the problem is, Steve, that they supply the puppies to stores and um, the stores pretend like that's not happening and that that they're actually uh you you explain how that works so it's it's uh, it's hard to explain now because here's what happens the uh puppy mills don't sell directly to pet stores first of all let me back up a step or two a responsible breeder and i personally have no issue whatsoever none with responsible dog or cat breeders or rabbit they're responsible rabbit breeders uh, they usually do it out of their own homes. They breed a handful, if that many, litters annually. And they're very, very careful about who purchases their pet and also how they breed their animals. That is very different, completely different than what pet stores sell. No responsible breeder ever, ever, ever sells to a pet store because they want to know who is getting their very beloved 
American Cocker Spaniel, Irish Setter, Golden Retriever, whatever that breed happens to be. Mm -hmm. Pet stores are a little different. Pet stores will sell to you if you say, I want that dog. And they will sell to you if you have cash or credit. That's the only question they ask. Will that be cash or credit? Now, the puppy millers, to answer your question better, they don't usually anymore, sometimes they do, but usually they don't sell directly to pet stores. It's too easy then to be traced as to who they are. So they sell to a broker who often sells to another broker, sometimes even to another broker before it gets to a pet store. So the chain is very convoluted now. The Chicago Tribune figured out what that chain is for a couple of pet stores in Chicago, which I could talk about in a moment. And I wanna say one more thing. To put an end to this, the Puppy Mill Project, some number of years ago, worked with then city, uh, I forget her title, Susana Mendoza was the city, she wasn't the comptroller like she is for the state. Uh, but, but anyway, Susana Mendoza worked with the Puppy Mill Project very, very closely. and crafted uh, an ordinance and got some aldermen sort of behind the scenes on board with this. Then I was brought in at that point in time, as was Chicago Animal Care and Control, and was all for it. Then it was all made public. It passed, ultimately, the ordinance did, 49 to 1. Only one alderman said, I'm not so sure about this. The other alderman, and this doesn't happen every day in Chicago, Mayor at that time, Rahm Emanuel, was absolutely supportive of this. Obviously, Susana Mendoza was part of the reason why it happened. She was a city clerk at the time, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the pet stores, some of them went, we're only talking about a handful of pet stores. And some and, of and them can I can I Can this, I ask a yeah, question yeah. here? Because sure. I think people want to know. Are we talking small pet stores? Are we talking the pet smarts of the world? Are we talking, you know, what, when you say pet stores, I think now in the 21st century, people think of pet stores as the mega pet stores. Um, mm -hmm. Are those stores selling animals? Uh, can they? Mega pet stores can if we're talking about some of the chains that are not in Chicago. If we're talking PetSmart, Petco, and Pet Supplies Plus, the so called pet superstores, they adopt mm -hmm. animals. They do not sell them. There is nothing in any ordinance, and there are about 400 now, by the way, across the country, that say you shouldn't adopt. In fact, we want people to adopt those animals. So there's, there's nothing, and, and these pet stores never had, the superstores, any interest. We're talking about very small pet stores in the city of Chicago. We're talking about yeah. smaller pet stores. Nationally, we're talking about like places like Happiness's Pets, and, and a couple of others that are large chains that work with large puppy millers across the country. And that is horrible. And that was just stopped in Naperville, by the way, with a similar ordinance. Anyway, the ordinance passed in Chicago. What a couple of pet stores said was, ha, 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 jokes on you guys. What we're going to do is our suppliers are going to fill out a 5013C. Same suppliers they've always had. Oh boy. Call themselves non-for-profits, which they did. You can't get us anymore because what we're doing is we're rescuing dogs from non-for-profits. By the way, these dogs they rescue are thousands of dollars. Also, one more thing about pet stores, and then I, uh, Jody should jump in here too. One more thing about pet stores 
is that it's uh, what they're doing, in my view, and I'm not an attorney, I concede, is consumer fraud. Mm -hmm. First of all, they're telling mm -hmm. people these are rescue dogs in Chicago at the very moment, and they really are not. They are from the same suppliers they've always been at. Also, what we now know across the yeah. country, these pet stores that sell dogs and cats, particularly in the world of dogs, they're not what they say they are. So the dog that's a supposed to be a uh, Lassapoo or something, uh, or a Peekapoo, uh, turns out now we can do genetic tests that's been done, and they have no Lassa or no Pika or no Poo in them. It's just a mixed breed dog, really. And it's not what, which is what those dogs are anyway, but it's not what they say. It's not what they're selling. And when you sell something that isn't what you say you're selling, that is consumer fraud. And, oh. and we also know through studies that have been done, these dogs sold at pet stores are far more likely to have behavior problems, medical problems, and may land in a shelter. Uh, one of the defenses is in Illinois. Anyway, we have a lemon law, but this is not a washing machine. You just want to take back to the store, which is yeah. what a lemon law is. You have the right to take it right, back. Right. Well, fine. But, but you know, but at, a, at a certain point, people fall in love with the animal and now they have to take care point, of it. At a certain point, that's minutes, minutes. Yeah. They yeah. fall in love and they also And then they have a behavior problem they can't care for. Right. And, or and an illness that costs them thousands of dollars to treat. Absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, we were contacted by a woman who bought a, a puppy from Pocket Puppies on Clark Street in August, and she's spending upwards of eight thousand plus on this dog's veterinary bills because uh, actually, it's a female dog. She has a genetic disorder, and uh, Pocket Puppies won't uh, won't pay for the veterinary care. So this happens all the time when you buy a dog uh, while dogs are suffering in shelters and rescues all over chicagoland you buy a dog you're not you, you don't care that's the pets don't care what happens once they get your money once they and they're not also they they aren't a shelter that guides you on the best on how to care for that dog like steve talked about with behavior people need to be aware of dog and cat behavior before they adopt or buy an animal um, there's a reason cats scratch. Steve says most people get rid of their cats when they start scratching. They need to know that cats are happy when they scratch, like Steve said. Uh, so um, it's very important we shut these three stores down. And they should have been shut down long ago. I mean, this bill passed six years ago. And uh, so CAA got involved, which, you know, we're very busy with all kinds of campaigns. But we're doing this because they need to be protested. We go out there. We've been out there twice now. We were going to be out there in April protesting pocket puppies but the pandemic hit so we didn't do any person in person protests but we are doing socially distant pro uh, protesting now against pocket puppies with three petitions with over 12,000 signatures who want to see these three stores shut down uh and i will more than 12 aldermen who we know have told us they support uh this uh alderman hopkins bill to sh shut down this loophole and close these stores down and here we are again. Uh, it passed the committee uh, in July, but still no action has been taken on it. So these three stores continue to operate. And by the way, I got to mention, Steve, you probably noticed you're frozen there, the video, but your audio is. See nice. how excited I got? <laughs> you, you, you radiated so much energy, you froze the yeah. camera. Uh, but And it doesn't seem to be but popping back. He should back. be frozen smiling. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not. Uh, but uh, you're. Uh, you're 
you're on. That's okay. Your audio sounds great, and that's what's important yeah. here. Um, and so we need to shut down those three stores. And I and I posted on. Well, Mike, excuse me for one second. I don't want to shut down any store. You just I don't want, want them to, to stop anyone, selling. Okay. Uh, stop yes, selling. I want puppies. to see them stop. Yes, because that's unethical. And what they're doing in Chicago, as Jody said, is actually illegal. The ordinance was passed. And it was passed overwhelmingly. The problem we're having now is a lot of the aldermen do feel, I'm new. I didn't pass that ordinance. So in a way, unfortunately, it's like starting all over. And it's more of an education campaign because like many members of the general public, uh, many aldermen simply don't know how bad it is, where these dogs are actually coming from because the pet stores deny it. Uh, but a Chicago Tribune story that I referred to earlier uh, confirmed everything we're saying. They tracked, which was not easy. These reporters won awards for a reason. They tracked where these dogs are really from. So they tracked down one broker, but that doesn't help. Then they tracked down another mm-hmm. broker, but that's just the broker, and finally found where these dogs are from, which are puppy mills. Uh, and yeah. that is uh, in every way not the right thing to support. It's unethical to support puppy mills. You're selling dogs that are going to be unhealthy medically as well as behaviorally. At least that's the odds. And even for those people that come to me, and they do, and they say, oh, I got a dog from wherever it is in the country that sells puppies. And my puppy is beautiful. Look at her. She's fine. I've never seen such a beautiful puppy. Have you? How about the mother of that dog that is a a breeding machine and so amazingly poorly treated in a nation where most of us share our beds with our dogs and we allow this to happen has to stop yeah and the hsus had an investigator a witness breeder in oklahoma spraying dogs in wire cages with a strong stream of water to get them to shut up. And these are uh, dogs that were sold to pocket puppies. So, so uh, these are, the facts are out there. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, the, the question people watching and listening to this want to know or have answered is, so how can I make sure I'm buying a dog that is not yeah. from a puppy mill? Well, number if one, you, you should never buy a dog. You should what? never buy a dog. Number one is you should never buy a dog. In my opinion, I don't agree with breeders. As long as dogs are languishing in shelters and being put down because there aren't enough cages, then no one should buy a dog. You should adopt a dog. There are shelters everywhere. If you want a specific breed, go to a breed rescue. And if they don't have a puppy mm-hmm. available, then wait or get another breed. You know, I mean, that's the way I look at it. No, no animals should be being killed. And they are because there aren't enough homes and while people yeah. are breeding animals. So number one, you should adopt. I was going to say, as you say, Jody, I don't, I I want to make it clear. I don't, I don't agree with that really. Uh, I think that it's America and if people have, let me finish. If people want a pedigree dog going to a, or cat for that matter, going to a responsible breeder, I have no problem with, I mean, the animals in our homes now, our dogs are our dog. We had a dog that passed away. I still say dogs. Our dog is a, and I would show you, but I'm frozen because uh, she's sitting right in back of me. <laughs> oh, she says, that would have been Terrier, great. Oh, well. Yeah, a Terrier Chihuahua mix, I suppose. And she's from the Animal Welfare League of Chicago, the dog that just passed away. 
was dumped as a puppy, which happily doesn't happen very often anymore, at the door of Chicago Animal Care and Control. But I, I say that if, if people want a purebred, though I have no problem, clearly I endorse adoption. But, but the reality is that in certain communities now, especially because adoption rates and foster rates are so through the roof, that is great. I have data on that. I'm showing you the papers. You can't see that either because I'm frozen. <laughs> but I've got data now on the adoption rates and how, how much they've gone up throughout the country, uh, yeah. which is a great thing. you know. But you go into a shelter, and that shelter, in, depending on where you live, may be virtually empty. No matter what, what for sure we do agree on, getting a pet from uh, or a dog or a cat from a pet or a rabbit from a pet store uh, is you supporting puppy mills. And that is not the right thing to do clearly, period. Don't go online randomly to get an animal. That could be a puppy mill. It's easy to create a website, right? Anybody can do it. Everybody does it. Well, the puppy millers do it too. But you can so get be you can very you, careful. You can get accurate information from the uh, uh, Humane Society of the United States, right? Well, they they don't supply names. It's just not what they do. Okay. Uh, or ASPCA mm -hmm. or Best Friends. They don't supply names of of local shelters. They don't supply names of. But I mean, all of that is easy enough to find out. What I'm saying is, don't go online and assume that a website is reputable. In fact, the reverse is probably true. Assume it's not reputable. Craigslist is an awful place to buy an animal. So I, again, I'm, I'm all for uh, you being there in person the best we can under the circumstances we're in right now uh, and go to that shelter to check out that dog if you can or cat, uh, but mm -hmm. a legitimate shelter, that's fine. A yeah. random website that is not fine. Yeah, uh, Jody. Yeah, and sure, or a rescue. You can, you can. A lot of times, the shelters or rescues encourage you to sit down with the dog or cat, socialize with that animal, and yeah. come back maybe a second or third time to, to make sure that you know you're connecting with that animal. Uh, whereas with a breeder uh, or pet store, you don't have that. You you basically may be able to pet them or hold them. And then you buy them. You don't take time to get to know them and vice versa. So it's just really important that people do adopt and uh, we shut these stores down. I hope people will get involved in our campaign. We will be protesting these local stores and we have three petitions online uh, to shut down these stores that are operating illegally in Chicago. And uh, we'll have to leave it at that. Uh, I know you two uh, differ on on uh, specifically that issue, but you are on the same page as don't support puppy mills. If you can, please adopt. Uh, there are fewer animals. Thank goodness. It's been a lot of it has to do with the, the pandemic where animals have been taken from shelters and, and given good homes. So yeah. uh, that would be a, a really mm -hmm. good thing to do. I got to let it go at that. Boy, was this a great conversation. Thank you, Steve Dale. Go to stevedalepetworld.com. Steve, we got to do this again, all right? And anytime, Mike. I'm on WGN this afternoon, by the way, at 1 o'clock, talking to Doc Emmerich about his new book, The Famed Hockey Broadcaster. And, in fact, he's donating all his proceeds to <laughs> a local shelter. We'll also talk with uh, someone about I have the COVID vaccine. You I'm have the that. 
Okay. Yes, sir. All right. I'll explain so, that. So okay. if, one o'clock, you, three o'clock at seven twenty WGN. Gargantua radio down the dial. Uh, and Jody Whitaker, thank you so much. If people want uh, to uh, get involved, uh, give them a website or a Facebook page they can go to. Yeah, definitely uh, join us on the Chicago Animals on Facebook. Um, our website is chicagoallianceforanimals.com. And then Twitter is at shy, C-H-I, animals. Say that again. You broke up at Chai. Animal rights. H-I, animal rights All on right. Twitter. Fantastic. Steve, I wish I could see you moving here. We'll we'll fix that for, for next time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I'm moving. I'm moving. Mike, All right. Thanks. Uh, always good to talk to you. Peggy, nice to meet you. Uh, nice fantastic. to meet you, Steve. Thank you. All right. When Bye, we Jody. Co- uh, when we come back. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, when we come back, Watch your step. okay, I'm going to try to get a word in. I got to start cutting off people's audio here. Okay. Oh, stop it. Bye. Whoo. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to the Southeast side of Chicago. Uh, it's an issue that we've, we've talked about, uh, already, uh, this year, a couple of times, and we'll be joined by Juanita Irizarry, who is the executive director of Friends of the parks. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Please stick around. Hi, I'm Victor Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. Here at Bartlett, safety has always been at the core of our business. We even have a guiding principle that we call safety above all else. For us, this principle means that the health and safety of our employees and all the people they come in contact with comes first every day at every job. As we continue to provide essential tree care services, those safety procedures now include social distancing and even more stringent sanitation practices. Before proposing work or visiting your property, we will call ahead so that you know that we are coming. Once we arrive, you can give us a quick wave from the window or meet us outside at a safe distance. If you're meeting with an arborist representative, He or she will give you a call upon arrival so you can have an on-site dialogue about your trees while you stay right inside your home. For all new work, a detailed proposal will be prepared and emailed promptly to you. With the help of our administrative staff, you can approve and schedule the work from your phone or computer. On the job, representatives and crews will be thoroughly cleaning equipment and disinfecting their hands. Teams will be meeting at the work sites instead of in the office. Crews will be fully briefed in advance and arrive with the exact specifications and goals of your tree care so that there's no need for you to personally interact with them. Building relationships is one of the most rewarding parts of our work, and that's not changing. While the way we communicate may be different, the way we care about our clients and their landscapes is still very much the same. We will continue to provide dedicated service while safely caring for your trees and shrubs. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sipson of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food.
tools to make me music Welcome back to the show, and we're so happy to have you here this morning. And as I mentioned before the break, we're very pleased, as you can see in the lower left corner, uh, to bring in Juanita Irizarry. Uh, say hi so we can know your audio's there, Juanita. Hey, how are you? I'm great. I'm so glad. Good hey, Juanita. You, uh, hey. We, we were trying to hook up earlier, and I called her, and she says, I'm making breakfast here for the family. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, get back to me. Uh, Multitasking. There's only so many things I really can do at one time. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's okay. I, I'm glad this is all it's, it's all set up here. And um, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show because uh, you guys are doing – you do so much work and so much advocacy for our open areas in uh, in Chicago – because you are friends of the parks, and it's it's about parks, um, and it's amazing. You wouldn't think that that would be a particularly controversial kind of organization, and yet here you are. At, it seems every year there's something, uh, and and I guess it just represents how important. And and you guys talk about this parks as democracy. This has been a theme of uh, friends of the parks now for a while. Um, yep. And uh, and and you're continuing that. So, uh, you tell us you just had your annual conference, and 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 you had some of the issues on there that we're going to talk about this morning. Tell us about that conference. Sure. Well, indeed, this is the fourth year that we have held our Parks as Democracy question mark conference. Uh, we always write that out with a question mark at the end, and people who really like grammar get irritated at me because they don't understand why there's a question mark there. But we're really trying to ask the question, are parks really democratic spaces? It's a phrase that is often used in talking about the importance of our parks and green spaces, but we also have seen that it's not always the case case that everyone feels like they are free to uh, use our parks. Historically, mm-hmm. there have been racial concerns. Uh, there may be other access issues. Um, and so we've also been using it to think about how we come together around common ground for the common good, where our parks ought to be great gathering places for us as Chicagoans, as um, citizens of this country, residents of this country, regardless of citizenship, um, to work together to to build safe and, and healthy communities around our parks. Um, so we lifted up issues that we're hearing about this year in the news. We talked about statues and park names and how we should go about changing those things if we should. Uh, we've talked about what does it mean to defund the police, whether that's the right name or not, but how do we get to safe communities and safe parks, um, and some of our ongoing projects, um, some of which we'll talk about today. Yeah, and and I hadn't thought about that, and, and I, I knew you were, this was part of what you've been doing, but that's the way that politics leaks into the work you do, uh, for instance, statues, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, a year ago was not an issue, and then suddenly mm-hmm. it's it's a big deal. Which statues stay and which go? Where do they go? Do you replace them? And how do you make that uh, decision? That's right. You know, and, and as Chicagoans, we're certainly not all in agreement about that, right? But we have definitely seen a big movement um, towards changing park names. And as part of our conference, we honored the Village Leadership Academy and the youth that argued for changing the name of Douglas Park 
from Stephen A. Douglas Park to Frederick and Anna, Anna Douglas Park. And we just think it's exciting to see youth, um, next generation of folks coming forth to care about issues related to our parks. And the entry point may be different for some. You know, for, for others, they really care more about environmental stewardship um, rather than these political issues. But we welcome any and all folks who want to think about how we have healthy parks and green space in Chicago. Yeah, well, if you're going to have social justice, you have to uh, and access to all. And if you're going to have access to all, people need to be comfortable in those spaces. And so you have to address those issues, even as you say, some people are just interested in the environmental. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that actually takes us to the southeast side. We keep Mm -hmm. talking on this show about the southeast side of Chicago. I wrote um, a few months ago, we had uh, Peggy Salazar from the Southeast Mm -hmm. Environmental Task Force and Gina Ramirez from the Natural Resources Mm -hmm. Defense Council on the show. And they, they, it was a wonderful interview, uh, and we talked about two issues mainly on the South Side, one of which we're not going to talk t- about today, uh, which is the movement of General Iron to the South Side. But that's part and parcel of the other issue, which is uh, the idea of, okay, what I wrote at the time, I said whether the issue is pet coke storage or dirty industries or expanding a toxic dump at the mouth of the Calumet River on the shores of Lake Michigan – or general vulnerability to environmental toxins, the southeast side of Chicago is almost always near or at the top of the list of places you wouldn't want to live if you had a choice. It should not be that way. I mean, people have grown up there. There are neighborhoods, there are families, there's history there. And we, yeah, I understand that that things happened 100 years ago and they had huge consequences, we're starting to address them now, and maybe we need to address them faster. So yeah. let's talk. And keep the new ones from coming in. Right, exactly. That's the other I side mean, of it. We do have a choice about whether General Iron goes there and, and continues the, the degradation of the southeast side of Chicago. So let's talk about that uh, issue, uh, the confined disposal facility, CDF. Um, you might remember... Juanita, that Peggy and I came to a, a Netch le- lecture in January before the pandemic hit. Uh, you had on this, and I'm, I feel like an idiot because that was the first time this entered my consciousness. Uh, so why don't you explain uh, what the Army Corps of Engineers is trying to do at the mouth of the Calumet River and why that might not be a good idea? Right. And it was nice to see you in person. That was, I think, our last gathering that Friends of the Park so. had before it kind seems of like forever ago. shut down, yes. it sure does. Um, and I wish I could say that this battle was forever ago, but it is ongoing. So the confined disposal facility, which is a tongue twister, so we say the CDF, is a pollution dump that is right at the confluence of the Calumet River and Lake Michigan. Um, and on the other side of it is Calumet Park. You can literally sit and have a picnic right next to a big sign that says danger um, with the CDF right on the other side. And if you're over at Steelworkers Park, you can look across the river. And right, because Steelworkers Park is north across the right. river. Yeah, okay. Right, right. And then let me just note that Friends of the Parks took interest in this issue because we have this long-term vision that we call the Last Four Miles Initiative to complete uh, the Lakeshore Path 
on the south end of the city and on the north end of the city where there are some parks, but they don't have connectivity, right? And so we are looking to the city to help fulfill this vision that, you know, came forth from Daniel Burnham's plan. And between Rainbow Beach, well, actually between the South Shore Cultural Center and the Indiana border, there are a number of parks, but again, this lack of connectedness between them. And so the CDF is an important parcel um, in that stretch. And it's actually on land that has already been conveyed to the Chicago Park District but it's being used for a pollution dump. And so what happens is there's dredging that happens in the Calumet River. It needed to be deeper to enable shipping to continue there. Um, but you know, sediment builds up and they have to kind of keep cleaning it out, right? But a lot of that sediment has toxins, PCBs, arsenic, lead, other things. And so it's not clean enough to just dump somewhere that isn't basically a landfill. But there's, there's a law that says we can't have any new landfills in Chicago. So they have this confined disposal facility pollution dump that they don't call a landfill, but it is basically a landfill right mm -hmm. on the lakefront, right? And what we know is that it's already leaking. <laughs> there's already interaction with the water that's in the CDF and our water supply in Lake Michigan. Right. So we think there's a, a big concern and it was supposed to have been closed decades ago. Um, it's been expanded the life of it a couple of times already. And now instead of closing it uh, by 2022, which was the plan, the Army Corps of Engineers is planning to build 20 feet, 25 feet higher right in the location that it's at and extending its life for another 20 years or so, which probably means we couldn't imagine it coming into public use for a park, for example, for 30 to 40 more years. Yeah. Happy to talk and more to, about that, but I'll let you get a question in. Uh, well, no, to build, no, no. And I would, to build ahead, that Peg. higher, they're, they're putting berms on the side. It's not just piling it up, but berms to hold it and then more right. berms. Right. And so, so you're gonna, all, in the end, you're going to have this super tall thing sitting there. Right. Really ugly right next to the park. But also, you know, we learned over the last year or two that lakeshore erosion is a real problem. Um, and mm -hmm. we've watched, you know, Army Corps of Engineer constructed um, revetments fall back into the lake, all along the lake, right? So why we think that building a big pile of pollution and cement on a lakeshore that is facing severe erosion is a good idea. We just have no idea. And and you mentioned something earlier. You said it's parkland. Well, this is this is land that was supposed to have been given back to the parks in 1994, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there have been a number of extensions, and it's more recent that the legal documents have been signed to actually convey the land to the park district, but that was the intention. And when the Illinois General Assembly um, passed this thing, it was only supposed to, you know, have a 10-year life, right? So we're way past the original intention. So my question to you is, why is that allowed to happen? If it is indeed parkland, and I, you know, I'm not saying, well, I maybe I am. I say, why don't you just put your flag there and say, no, this is ours. We're taking it back now. Goodbye, mm -hmm. and we'll we'll cap it and we'll turn it into a park because that would be part of the last four miles program. 
Yeah, you know, until about a year and a half ago, we were getting indications that the park district was also excited that they were finally going to get this land and be able to look to a future where they would come up with real plans to turn it into some kind of parkland, whether that be natural areas or recreational areas still to be determined, but that, you know, it was going to move in that direction. Um, but then the Army Corps, instead of looking for a better option outside the 10th Ward, decided that if there were no other appropriate sites in the 10th Ward, that they would just keep it at this site in the 10th Ward. Um, and they didn't say that out loud to the public until very last minute, right? There wasn't a real vetting of that possibility. We all thought they were looking at other options. And then all of a sudden, um, the Army Corps surprised us with this. Unfortunately, the Park District and the city of Chicago are now going along with it as willing players, which, again, we think is crazy. Uh, you're not the only one that thinks it's crazy. There's, a, you know, given that uh, Lake Michigan water levels have been at uh, unprecedented levels, uh, that they could go higher. They, you know, they fluctuate. We know this, but yeah. storms have also um, already caused so much damage. Peggy knows she lives very close to Lake Michigan. Yeah. And there's been a lot less ice every winter, so the damage is even worse with the winter storms. Uh, and so, right. Regardless of the lake levels going up and down, we hear that the climate change impacts are more severe and more frequent storms, right, regardless of, yeah. of the lake levels. Um, so we can expect to continue to have problems. Uh, so where, why is it that the, the park district is in favor of this and the administration seems to be in favor of this. I, I, I have, it has me scratching it's, my it's head. It's mind boggling. Uh, well, uh, it has me scratching my head about Lori Lightfoot. All right. Yes. Because um, everybody knows that the 10th ward has been the dumping ground for toxins forever. And it, it continues. And it's not as if it, th there's being a lot of progress made. And, it, and each step you take forward, there's two steps back, it seems. Or maybe it's two mm -hmm. steps forward and one step back. Uh, but uh, to, to even consider this seems um, insanity. And um, I, I read something that Durs Anderson from Open Land said in one of the articles that uh, we were mm -hmm. looking at. So, uh, and the you know the issue for the Army Corps of Engineers is they say well we have to dredge the river and it's really hard to uh, find a place to put it and Durr said well it would probably cost the city a million dollars a year to take it someplace else which is a drop in the bucket now I know the city is a billion dollars in debt but at that point you know it's it's just a million dollars and it would it would change the nature of the southeast side. And the other thing he said is, stop polluting the river, and we won't have to dredge as much. Yes, yeah. Re reduce the runoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's reduce legacy. The runoff that's going in and polluting. Yeah, I was going to say, there's legacy pollution, which has to be addressed. But at some point, if you're not continuing to pollute the river, then you don't have that issue. Does that make sense to you, Juanita? It does. And, and, and let me just note that in order for the project to go forward, as the Army Corps has proposed, they have to have a cost share partner. And the city has signed on as a cost share partner through CDOT, the Chicago Department of Transportation. So they're going to have costs associated with this regardless. So it's not like, you know, doing it differently is the only way that they're going to have costs associated with this. Let's also note that 
the park district is not being paid rent for this land. So once again, public trust land in Chicago is being given away for things that the public may very well not want. Um, and the, the city's not even getting any money out of it or the park district. Um, but but let's talk about the, the, the plan. Um, Open Lands and Sierra Club of Illinois and Friends of the Parks in our written comments to the Army Corps of Engineers did talk about this. Like there are other solutions, right? Um, and and also Alderwoman Garza had written in a, in a previous comment letter as well that there are seawalls in the area that are crumbling that are adding to the sediment that's going into the river. So let's deal with our crumbling infrastructure that is only making the situation worse in terms of what needs to be dredged. And then there's the opportunity and the possibility and precedent for cleaning and using beneficial reuse of some of the sediment um, so that there is less toxic sediment that actually has to go into a dump. Um, so there's a lot of other ways to think about this. And what we have seen is that the Army Corps is just going along with this idea that the 10th Ward is just where you dump stuff. And you really don't have to think about other better alternatives. And they have called keeping it there the least cost alternative, right? So even if you just look at this from a moral point of view, this idea that you just keep putting all the burden of our um, pollution on residents of the 10th Ward, which is already an environmental justice community, it's just not right. No, it's not. It's not, folks, mm -hmm. it's not always about the money. It's about quality of life. It's about social justice as well. Uh, as we learned yesterday, watching people dance in the streets of Washington, D.C. and New York City and elsewhere in the country, they, they understand that. Now we need to get that message conveyed about the 10th Ward and uh, the CDF in particular. Um, we, um, we have a f – is there anything we've, we've missed on this? Yeah. Um, well, let me add one thing. And, and, you know, you referenced some of the other environmental uh, leaders in the community that have been on your show. And I want to just lift up the fact that um, CDF and others have brought up concerns that if it if the CDF is moved from the current location, <clears throat> that it will just get dumped elsewhere in the 10th Ward. Yeah. And with a community that is battling so many different you know, attacks in terms of, you know, this ongoing pollution, it's really scary, right? So what do you do? Do you actually fight the the current proposal? Is it better to leave it where it is than to kind of enter into a big question mark as to whether it will get moved somewhere else, right? And and we think that's a legitimate concern. And, and we think, you know, the community most impacted by these policy decisions should very well what very much be you know at the center of this discussion um and so we are hoping and encouraging and trying to use our parks as democracy conference as a place to vet some of these potential solutions um so that the community can organize against real solutions to put it somewhere else but in the right place in the right way that is not just dumping on the 10th ward or any other environmental justice community or even dumping it really in anybody's um backyard. Um, so we think that's really important is how do we organize around real solutions, um, not just against the current location. Um, and then meanwhile, we're really trying to push our elected officials and, and appointed officials to step in and lead. It's like actually their job <laughs> to find <laughs> the right solution. 
Right. You're right. That's a really good point, that they're putting it on the folks who are protesting this rather than saying, well, we have an alternative. Why don't we try this out? Um, In addition to having folks perhaps uh, join Friends of the Parks or or go to uh, Friends of the Parks uh, and and keep uh, abreast of the things that you're doing, what else can people do in the 10th Ward to uh, to make their uh, uh, their feelings known about this? Yeah. Um, Well, I will say, look at our website, FOTP.org. It's very easy to go on there and find um, this issue and click on it. And we have a bunch of sample letters that you can send to various public officials, um, you know, from city to aldermanic to statewide to um, our our congressional delegation. Um, So we invite you to to keep the pressure on that way. I I definitely think the the local alderwoman needs to understand how important um, this issue is. And and she, I think, is stuck also in a place where she doesn't know how we get to the right solutions. And I think we need to help her um, feel like there are some real solutions. And yeah, go to the alderman's office and talk to the alderman and say, okay, here's what I think about that. And uh, uh, so then. Yeah. Yeah, has- I'll just add, I think the Alliance of the Southeast, um, you know, as a membership organization that represents a lot of folks in the community is looking to convene some conversations around the solutions, you know, so that folks from the Southeast side can come together um, to figure this out, right? And to figure out how we move it somewhere else without just having more truck pollution, right? Because that's a real thing. So we've talked about, well, you can actually barge it down the river. And by the way, we already do that in other cases, right? Um, so to have the community discuss what some of those options are and come to some consensus around what it is we can, we can push for together. All right, we have about four minutes here. Um, I wanted to get to a couple more issues very, very quickly. Uh, One is the Obama Presidential Center. What's the the latest on that? Yeah, um, well, I I will say really the Section 106 and NEPA process are wrapping up. We have seen that there has never been any intention except to push that through. Um, meaning meaning it's never, going to be in Jackson Park. There's no alternative. It's, it's, a, it's a done deal. Park, Not to another park. The federal review process was never going to be used to actually take a serious look at the real concerns. They were never really going to think about mitigation. But um, uh, I saw an article just yesterday when I was reading about this, about uh, a group of of uh, citizens on the South side say they see nothing but positive coming out of this yeah. with the exception that it's using uh, parkland that belongs to the people. But other than that, they see the economic boom boom that will come from this. And it seems to me they're probably right about that. Yeah. You know what? We think there's a, a continuum of opinions in the community. That has been our experience as we sit at tables there. And I think most Chicagoans are thrilled to have an Obama presidential center in Chicago and on the southeast side. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, on the south side where, you know, where he grew up politically and in organizing. Um, so we think it's great. It's coming to the community. We have to note that as members of the Obama Presidential Center Community Benefits Agreement Coalition, the CBA coalition, we were an ally member. There were absolutely community members that say, whoa, I mean, with all this 
economic development that will hopefully come to our community, we also want to make sure we don't get pushed out of the community, right? So there's nothing about this issue that is binary. It's very complicated. Um, but we have landed on the place where, though we have always thought it should have been on vacant land across the street from Washington Park, um, we are still pushing the Obama Foundation and the city um, and other players to create more green space in the neighborhoods around Jackson Park to make up for the approximately 20 acres that are going to be essentially privatized as Obama Center Campus. Okay, and you have about one minute to tell us about the North Lakeshore Drive, <laughs> redefine the drive, and I know that's also very complex, but uh, what can you say yeah. in, in a nutshell? So on Monday, uh, comments are due as the the this ongoing process that has been going on for, gosh, almost almost a decade, uh, maybe since about 2013. Um, you know, we're saying, again, protect the parkland. We think it's great to in, improve traffic flow. There have been a lot of accidents on North Lakeshore Drive, um, and it's definitely important to protect Lakeshore Drive from lakeshore erosion. So we're excited that there will be some more parkland as part of trying to remedy that. Um, but there's still um, space for a lot of community dialogue about some of the elements of it that um, are still threatening to take away parkland and to make some of the drive underground or like tunnels. Um, and we keep reminding people that Daniel Burnham meant this to be a scenic boulevard, not a highway. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah. let's pushing back on that. So how can how can people make comments? Uh, is there a place at FOT? Uh, yeah. Friendsoftheparks.org. That, uh... Actually, actually, check out our Facebook page a couple of days ago, um, and we 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 have places where we have posted our uh, comments, so they can take our comments and just look for the link, and you can put them in your own name and send them in, or change them, whatever you want to do. Juanita Irizarry, Executive Director, Friends of the Parks. Uh, thank you so much. It's always great to have you on the show, and um, and we appreciate interrupting uh, your breakfast. And, Back to uh, breakfast. Now. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, uh, that you let us do that, and we uh, we will continue to um, uh, follow these issues, and and we thank you for uh, your help to, yeah. this morning in explaining them. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Hope Good to, to see you in person again sometime in twenty twenty one. All yes. right. All right. Take yeah. care. It will. We, we will talk soon. Bye bye. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio just called in, so we're going to get to him right after this. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food. And thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. 
The folks at Blazing Star know that good soil biology means good soil. That's why they sell products from trusted industry leader Tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health. In other words, whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Forget your troubles, happy days, come on, get happy, I hear again the sky, as above a clear, shout hallelujah, so let's sing a song, come on, get happy, cheer again, get happy days are here again, I had to... Put that in. Hold on. That is uh, uh, Barbara Streisand. What? We don't get flagged on that one. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 a video uh, from a yeah, t- TV show. I don't think we're going to get uh, anything from that. We won't get flagged on that. I know we got to do that. I'm going to let you do that. Uh, oh no! I, no, I will do that because Rick. It's your turn. He 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 hung up. Again. Uh-oh. I don't think he's hearing. I'm <laughs> I'm trying to feed him the audio that so that he knows we're here. So you better He talk. says he's holding. Uh he's going to have to call in again cuz it dropped. So uh have him have him do that while uh I take care of some business here um and let folks know that the second Session of Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming is coming up next Sunday, November 15th at 1 p.m. Brought to you by the Center for Agrarian Learning at McHenry County College. It's a free online speaker series featuring innovative thinkers and doers. As we've said on this show, it will help you learn how to walk and think and act like an agrarian. Whole Grain Supply Chain is a workshop that features a food uh, food system dietitian, a farmer, I can't say that. I look at that food system dietitian. Okay. A farmer. No, the word doesn't spell like, it doesn't it, seem like it, it's it, spelled it, right. It looks like something wrong, but it's not. Um, and there's a farmer and a baker discussing the benefits and challenges they face using artisan grains in their businesses. But before that, this Thursday, November 12th at 6 p.m., take part in a screening and discussion about the wonderful film Seasons of Change on Henry's Farm. Filmmaker Inez Summer. And producer, author, Tara Brockman, who were on our show earlier this year, will take your questions. The Forefront sessions are free online via Zoom, but you need to sign up. Go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and check out upcoming events in December and January and February of 2021. Mm -hmm. That's mchenry.edu slash Forefront. Rick DeBio, are you with us? All right, Mike and Peg, uh, good morning. This has certainly uh, been what we can say, what a, what a year this week has been, right? Yep. Um, hopefully everything will turn out from a standpoint of President-elect Biden and uh, President or Vice President-elect um, Harris um, assume their duties, uh, rightfully so and legally so. Uh, clearly there's going to be some contentious debate from the other side on whether or not um, they're going about doing things the proper way due to the fact that you have these um, pending lawsuits uh, obviously being filed by um, Rudy Giuliani, the maniac 
ex-mayor from New York City. I can say that because I lived in New York, uh, but also uh, from the Trump campaign team. So again, a lot of people obviously happy with the returns. Me as well. I was a little bit um, on the anxious side, which is, I think, why I predicted Trump would win. But maybe I was also doing it uh, because I wanted to at least, I don't know, give myself something not to worry about if I already predicted that he was going to win, even though I obviously didn't want him to win. Uh, for a number of reasons. So one of the things I think is going to be most interesting is how um, Vice President, well, I should say President-elect Biden uh, and Harris decide how to proceed with putting the United States back into the Paris Climate Accord. And this is a really big deal because this is one of the key things that I know that President Obama wanted the United States to be a part of. And President Trump if you recall, when he was running back in 2016, was all about getting coal, uh, coal jobs back into the southern Midwest and, you know, parts of the Ohio Valley. That was never going to happen, primarily due to the fact that um, natural gas fracking, which is here to stay, um, is one of the reasons why our energy prices are so low. Now, as much as people want to dispel fracking, it is fairly safe. I know in some areas of the United States, it's not, uh, but I have friends in the industry, meteorologists in the industry who work for some of these gas companies, um, and they're doing things as, as safe as possible. Um, so drinking water and groundwater uh, is not polluted. Trust me, um, I'm not a fan of it, but if it's something that we can utilize to keep ourselves um, independent um, from a standpoint of energy in this country, that's a good thing. Um, staying mm -hmm. off of coal obviously is one thing. Um, as well as oil. But um, I think fossil fuels, um, I hate to say it, are here to stay. I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Um, the transition away from that will probably take several generations, but you're just not going to one day wake up and say no coal, no gas, no oil. Um, this country and this economy is built on that. Um, and you got to be truthful and honest um, about these things. You just can't say that's the only way that we're going to reduce uh, carbon dioxide emissions. We have already reduced emissions quite a bit, um, and that's mainly due to the fact that coal has not been that much of a part of our production from a standpoint of getting energy. I think we're down almost 35% in the last 15 years of coal. So one of the things that the Climate Accord will allow us to do is hopefully incorporate or at least export some of the knowledge and technology that we have from the coal industry, which is dying here in the United States, um, over to India and over to China, where they needed to build, you know, better power plants, more efficient power plants. Why? Because they're going to use it over there. So we got to be really, you know, mindful of the fact that you, the, the new Green Deal, which was, per, you know, which was proposed by AOC and Senator Markey from Massachusetts. Um, that was way too aggressive. It's not going to go through. And that's like me saying, as, as a kid coming into college, I'm going to get straight A's, you know, every semester as long as I work hard. But if you're mm -hmm. a B student, then getting straight A's is, is unrealistic. And the yeah. new Green Deal right off the bat was unrealistic. It was way too progressive, and it was way over the top. And that's one of the reasons why I think Biden and Harris have to pull themselves away from that. And it also doesn't look good right now because it means that you're going to have to spend a lot of money on it. And clearly what we have to do right now is get the pandemic um, under control, which is going to cost a lot of money. So 
Uh, the new Green Deal is there, but it should be at least chopped in half and abridged to some degree so that we can work with both sides. And when Biden said work with both sides, that means that most of the things from the new, new Green Deal are just going to have to wait. And that's just the reality of getting policy that fits both sides. So again, um, getting back to the Paris Climate Accord is going to be something good. Um, all right, so that's the spiel on that. Let's talk about our current weather. Uh, we were 69 on Tuesday. We were in low 70s Wednesday, low 70s uh, Thursday, mm -hmm. low 70s Friday, low 70s Saturday. Uh, <laughs> we'll hit 70 degrees today. And when we do that, that'll be the fifth consecutive day that we've been above wow. 70 degrees. We have not done that um, since back in 1953. And if we hit 70 tomorrow and 70 on Tuesday, which I think we probably will get close to, uh, that'll put us in seven days in a row. We've never done that. So this is a byproduct of a really deep trough developing off the West Coast, moving into the Rocky Mountains, producing blizzard conditions right now across northern Montana, and eventually some snow and some rain into areas of the central Rockies, which they need. As much snow as they got a couple of weeks ago, that all basically melted uh, or sublimated, which is a fancy word for evaporated. Uh, but that's all gone. So we need to have more of this snow early in the year when the ground is still unfrozen, um, and that'll percolate down into the soil. So if you realize when we um, got that quick burst of snow and cold weather, it basically shut down some of the wildfires that were burning in Colorado. But it got warm yeah. again very, very quickly. Yeah. And we know that the tinder out there is still susceptible to more fire. Good news, though, they got some rain in the Las Vegas area, um, as well as completed their voting or counting of the voting. Um, but this was interesting because this was the first time they had any measure of precipitation in 200 days, wow. uh, going all the way back to April wow. 20th. And we have not had a dry spell uh, that long ever. The previous dry spell was 150 days. So um, even though it's cloudy right now, you'll feel that the air temperature has a little bit more um, comfort to it. That's because the dew points are in the mid to upper 40s. So the dew points uh, increase the ability for the clouds to remain in basically all the way from southern sections of the Midwest up into the northern Illinois area. But these clouds will clear. Just looking at the satellite right now, it's basically sunny across central and southern Illinois where temperatures in the low 70s. And when you get in the low 70s this time of year, you're 20 degrees above normal. So uh, cloudy now, sunny this afternoon, low 70s, beautiful tomorrow. There'll still be a mixture of clouds and sun. Uh, and then it definitely looks like the storm system out west will move across the northern plains and probably drag a pretty decent cold front through the area late Tuesday, cuts off some thunderstorms. Some of those could be severe, but right now it doesn't look like it. Um, and then we go right back into somewhat near to slightly above normal. So the six to 10 day outlook shows this to be still above normal um, through at least the 18th of the month and the eight to 14 day outlook shows to be shows to be slightly above normal through the 22nd of the month. If you recall last year, the month in November, we had another three to four inches of snow by about the 10th of the 12th. And we had overnight lows in the single digits and afternoon highs in the middle teens. That was pretty cold stuff. So this is about as good as it gets. I mean, I think I've said that now in both the month of September, October, and now November. Uh, but what's amazing is you can get as much warmth on a day like today as you would with the amount of sunshine you get um, on the 10th of February. Clearly in February, you got snow on the ground, and the ground is cold. So again, um, 70s today, 70s tomorrow, 70s early in the day on Tuesday, then back into the 
50s for Wednesday and Thursday. Um, and it looks like from a standpoint of rainfall over the next seven days, anywhere between about probably maybe a half and three quarters of an inch, that's going to be Tuesday afternoon. And that should be about it for the week. So um, warm weather, dry weather. Um, and again, if you can get, get out and play golf, you got to do it before <laughs> two o'clock because otherwise by the time you're hitting the 13th hole, the sun is setting. Uh, so um, it's great that the golf courses have been able to, uh, it's great that the golf courses have been able to reap some of the benefits of this warm weather we've had in October, November, because uh, clearly they got screwed early in the year. So the weather yeah. has turned around. Hopefully the election has turned things around as well. So I think everybody's feeling a little bit better over the last several days for many reasons. I'm going to assume you still can't hear me. Nope, he can't. No, nope, right. he cannot. So I'm, I'm texting him. Anything to text him? Uh, no, just thank him and tell him uh, I will see him tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow morning, bright and early. So uh, uh, that's uh, just text away to Rick. Thanks, Rick. I, I, I take some issue with some of the things he said about the uh, uh, the Green New Deal. Um, I think it's just an idea so far. It's, there was nothing concrete in the idea of marrying uh, social justice to clean energy um, and uh, the economy is a good thing and something that uh, can still be looked into. Um, but uh, we can have that discussion when we can actually talk yeah. to each other at yeah. some point. And we're getting some comments on fracking and uh, sand mines around. And I, and, I, and, I, and I have to admit that, uh, I, I, and he says he's not a, a fan of fracking, neither am I, obviously. And, uh, I don't, and we, we can do better uh, if, if we figure out, how, if we work at it, if we apply all of our, 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 our smarts to get the job mm-hmm. done. So, uh, but um, we'll, we'll move forward. We have an election. <laughs> it's behind us. Well, it's not actually. <laughs> That's part of the problem too. It's not, it's not behind us yet, uh, but it will be. No, very, very a lot soon. can happen in two months. Uh, you in bet. a lame duck session. So I guess I should do this uh, and thank everybody who is on the show with us today. Obviously, Steve Dale uh, and uh, Jody Whitaker and Juanita Irizarry and Rick DeMaio, even though we couldn't quite communicate in the way we wanted. Uh, Kayla, thanks for working out there. Kathleen, upstairs. Lagata, I don't know where you are. Didn't see you around. And, of course, Basil the dog. Uh, Woof. Woof. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Oh, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. Uh,